you're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the Nerds Podcast number 798. Katie, what do you have on the Nerdist community corkboard? What's uh, happening in the Nerdist community that might be relevant to their interests? I got two things. And um, Oren Brimmer, who worked on the Pete Holmes show, and he directed all the all like the, the Batman sketches that they did. He just premiered a 22-minute short on shortoftheweek.com. It is a surreal rom-com, and it's starring Josh Rubin, Pete Holmes, George Basil, Megan Nuringer, and more. And you can find it by going to facebook.com slash film, And it's really fun. It's, a, it's really great, and everyone's really funny in it. And then also, speaking of Pete Holmes, he is filming his special this Saturday, April 16th, at the Vic Theater in Chicago. The early show is sold out, but the late show at 9 p.m. still has tickets available, so you can go to PeteHolmes.com to get this. Yeah, that'll be a great show, and the Vic Theater oh, is yeah. great. Pete Holmes is killing it. Got a new show coming out with Judd. Good stuff. Uh, I got another fun Boston thing. Uh, For the PAX East attendees on April 21st, the Boston Museum of Science is co-hosting a live-action text adventure game. Uh, Now, I know, Chris, uh, you uh, belong to the Church of Zork. (laughs) <laughs> I do belong to the Church of Zork. <laughs> yes, I absolutely. I I was uh, I I was eaten by a Gru. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. You should have gone the other way. I should have. Yeah, sandwich. I should have said. Should have typed. Should have typed L instead of R. Mm. I uh, I remember really playing that game as a kid, going like, "So this was fun before other video games." <laughs> we had to use our imagination. Felt like the same. I've had the same reaction to that as when I was like, "Man, the pioneers in covered wagons." <laughs> yeah, that's basically what we're, we're digital pioneers. <laughs> but in they're covered doing wagons. one called Space Station, and it's going to be. I think be... maybe you were thinking of Oregon Trail. Oh yeah, that was also a game, but that was slightly more fun than Zork. <laughs> yeah, okay. there no, was you're wrong. Small. Zork was there was great. a graphic interface and graphic interface over just text-based interface. I want you to play Zork the Grand Inquisitor. It was a game made by Activision. Now that game's CD-ROM. awesome, though. Yes, because it's, awesome. it's it's text-based, but it also has it's elements not, to it. it. There there is a text element, element to it, to it yeah. but it's mostly yeah. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll I'll go all day with those sweet essentially 90s narrated games. by Michael McKean. Yep, and uh, and uh, you got a little Dirk Benedict in there. Yeah. You got uh, there's there's a Rip Taylor cameo <laughs> in there. It's great. I highly we did love it. putting Rip Taylor cameos into stuff in the nineties. So just uh, pony up some Zork mids and uh, play yourself. Uh, <laughs> well, some Zork if the you Grand guys Inquisitor. didn't get to enjoy uh, the original classic Zork, uh, they're doing a thing called Space Station, and it's going to be a text adventure projected onto the ceiling of the planetarium. That's that's what? cool Incredible. as shit. It's going to be at the really Cambridge cool. Science. It's part of the Cambridge Science Festival. So again, April twenty first, Boston Museum of Science. Go check it out and enjoy a planetarium and text adventures. Excellent. I love planetariums. Oh yeah, I'm a big fan. They're my favorite. You know, who I'm a big fan of Gary Oldman. Oh yeah, who is in this episode? Somehow we got Gary Oldman on the podcast. That's a good time. I am, and he was 
He was really incredible. We both had the same reaction where we realized neither of us had heard his real speaking voice before. He started talking and, and made it, the same, it kind of like threw oh. me off guard. Oh, that's it. <laughs> but um, but it was a pretty it was a pretty incredible episode, and he was really open and uh, and just a lovely man. And his his when we got into the part where he was talking about uh, being friends with Bowie. And and all that. I mean, it was uh, it was pretty. It was touching. Pretty pretty heart wrenching, and and also amazing that he was comfortable enough to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I don't want I don't want, ever want people to feel uncomfortable about stuff that they're talking about. But he seemed he seemed okay with talking about it, and it was it was really it was really beautiful. He was a he was a really phenomenal guest, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear him, <laughs> maybe for the first time ever <laughs> as Gary Oldman. The voice you'll hear that isn't Chris isn't back. <laughs> Gary isn't back Gary Oldman, but uh, he was a great sport, and we loved having him on. So he's promoting Criminal, which is in theaters this Friday, April 15th. Kevin Costner is also in this movie. I plan on spending there's all day singing that Fiona Apple song to promote it. There's a there, there's there's a Ryan Reynolds in the movie as Ooh. well. There's a there's a little bit of a a a, a memory implantation uh, story. So you're saying you've got Criminal? Jim Gordon and Deadpool in the same movie. <laughs> Along with the Submariner from Waterworld. I did. Now I just have what I need is a good defense. Because I'm feeling like a criminal April 15th. Uh, thank oh, you very much. Go. And it's April 15th when that movie opens now. It's also and tax it's day scary now. Over. All right. Okay. Okay. People have turned off the podcast oh. now. We've actually ruined. Here's the nurse podcast number 798 with Mr. Gary Oldman. Now entering Nerdist.com. We were just with Larry King. Larry King. Yeah. Hello, Sire Cruz. I'm on my mom and brother. Do you do his classic Larry King stunt where he'll ask you a completely innocuous question and then he'll ask you a super serious question that you're not prepared for? No, it was, it was actually uh, very smooth sailing. And, um, and it's always good sometimes to share the load. So it was Kevin and I together. So you don't have to, you don't have to shoulder the whole thing yourself? No. Yeah. But um, Larry yeah, is an was, inspiration of a human being. He is. Uh, I mean, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, I know who he is. Yeah. And I know that he's, you know, over the years, has certainly, certainly met um, his share of very, very uh, interesting people. He was just telling an anecdote about um, Danny Kay. <laughs> who, he had, who he had interviewed, um, but he's outlived them all. Oh wow! Yeah, he is. He, yeah, he, he used to hang with the Rat Pack. Like he was a he was a oh yeah Sinatra friend. Yeah, he's got a lot of great history there. Yeah. It's like generations ago that yeah. guy's been around. But he's but he's um he 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 you know he liked the film and was uh, was very uh, was very kind. Can't complain. <laughs> I think I'm just realizing I don't know if I knew what your natural speaking voice sounded like. I've seen you in so many different things. Yeah, I know, over the years. I don't know if I know really anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to do be you, honest with you. Do you wake up someday and go, oh, I think it's this now. Okay, maybe it's this. You know, I've lived here in America for 20 
22 years. Not always in California, but... And um, my kids are American. So um, I feel... I'm not a citizen, but I'm, you know, a resident. Um, but uh, I feel... I don't, I don't, I don't really know if I, I don't quite know where I'm from anymore. You know, it's I, I'm sort of. I I have some family now, in 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 the UK, um, and I go back to Europe. I work a lot in Europe because no one makes movies here anymore. You know, right. um, it's all generated from here, and then you have to go to places like Bulgaria, to to to, to do it. But um, I. I, this is home. This feels like home to you. Yeah. Nice. When I when I go when I travel and or work away and we're just coming in. Um, you come you you know you're coming in over Vegas and you start that sort of slow. Thereafter, you start the descent. Yeah. And you come in over sort of California. I, I feel uh, I'm home. You, know? you cry. You, you, it's always you. You just get past the mountains, so you get yeah. the turbulence from the mountains, and then the circuit board of Los Angeles. That's it. The expansive yeah. circuit board. Yeah, and I feel home. You know, I'm on my way. Do you ever? Do you purposely take chunks of time off, or does do you just do you work when you feel like you like something? It really, it it really d- depends. Um. I have said yes to something, which I can't talk about right now because it's not official. Um, that is a um, mountain of a role to do. And the rest of my year was off. And now it's going to be taken up with doing that. So um, it was not... It, it, it was whispered... You know, a year ago. Yeah. But it wasn't on the horizon until a couple of days ago. So it's the sort of, you still live the gypsy life, you know? I mean, and the way they make movies now, because of the way movies are financed, because of the way that the distribution is getting smaller and, you know, there's that less number of distributors. I mean, when I first started... In the in the industry, you could you know you could li- I mean literally book a holiday, because you knew you were going to start a movie on a certain date, you were going to end on a certain date. There were going to be no overages. There were going to certainly going to, there were not going to be any pickups and reshoots, and you would finish a film, and then have a break or with your family or go on holiday or you know you could plan things. Now you can't. You know, they say a movie's going to happen and then a week or two weeks before it happens, it isn't happening or it's been pushed or a movie will come together really quickly. Yeah. Um, and your life is, I mean, all over the place. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't book holidays and things anymore. How do you ever feel? How do you ever feel stable? Like, what do you kind of grab onto in the midst of all that to sort of feel like you have yeah. some control over your life? You don't. You know, it's it. It's a sea I swim in. I've been an actor for thirty-seven years. I'm used to it. I don't ever panic that 
I, I don't have to just keep keep working and pack because it because it, it stops. I always sort of think, well, you know, something will come along, you know. Um, and I do, and I, I do, you know, I do, I do other things, so I feel my time. I read that you're directing a biopic about Edward Mybridge. Is that yeah, correct? I mean, if if it, well, we hope if it if it all comes together. But yeah, it's a project I've been working on. I started writing it three and a half years ago. Jeez. But and then it, it's. Uh, I'm very proud of it, and um, and now recently I got someone attached, and I think it will be, which is sort of a, a game changer. But I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I would, I would I'm not going to hold my breath. Are you going to? Are you not going to be in it? No, I'm going to direct it. Yeah. Could you ever direct yourself? I suppose so. I have. To, I don't. I'm. I've, um, I don't wish to. <laughs> Why is that? Um, I like. I don't like wearing. People can do it, and, and some people do it incredibly well. I've just been, you know, in this movie. I'm with Kevin Costner, and just spent the last, you know, forty minutes with him, and he does it. He does it. He does it very well. Um, so it's in, in awesome worlds, and but I mean, it can, obviously it can be done. Um, I don't like um, sharing the, my time. I, 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 you know, if I'm working on something, I want to only work on that one thing and give it everything. Yeah, and I don't really want to be worried. I don't want to be things. I think there's things that happen. In 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 rehearsal and when you're shooting, accidents and things happen that you don't plan, and that you'll see something and you think, "Oh, how I thought of it! I thought it was this, but I'm seeing something else develop. I'm seeing something else happen." And I like I like that. Yeah. I like the um, where where you've you got not preconceived, but at least you've got some kind of plan. And it switches and it changes. Mm-hmm. And I want, I, I don't know, for me, I wouldn't want to be inside of it and outside of it at the same time. Yeah. It's, mu- it's much easier to recognize when you're just outside of it, when you're outside, to be objective and subjective at the same time. Yeah. I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know if I could, I, I'd be good at that or enjoy it. Are you, because you're, because you're so comfortable with what you do, when you're working, are you completely locked in and completely focused, or does the back of your brain start going? Oh, I gotta. Yeah, I know I have those dinner plans next week. Like, is is half of your brain somewhere else sometimes, or are you able I, to focus? I tell you what, you, you know the the old question that people ask you. Certainly, when I was in the theatre, um, uh, not saying that I'm not in the theatre anymore, but when I did a lot of theatre back in the day. People would say, you know, how do you remember all those lines? They'd see you in a play for three hours. And and I would always say, I forget everything else. <laughs> and it is about focus and 
concentration. So I, I can have a, a, you know, once you've done the work, you need the you, the the base, the the ground zero needs to sort of be there before, you know. There's a certain amount of work that you have to do, but I feel that once you've done the work, then you can come in and out of it. Yeah. But you focus for those moments when the camera's rolling. Um, I mean, a great example of, uh, you know, Tony Hopkins. Um, when we, for instance, when we did Hannibal, um, you know, Tony, we're telling jokes. And then they go, okay, everyone, get ready. And we go, you know, and you say, so the, so the, so the, I don't know. So the bishop, he goes into the, uh, he goes into the, the he goes into the the the, 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 shop, and he says, to, oh, hang, hang on a minute, hold that thought like that. And then you go and do a bit of acting, and then you, they say cut, and they go, well, there's five minutes, and you go, anyway, where was I? Oh, yeah. So the bishop was, <laughs> I mean, that, you know, in like any. Like and you know it it when it when it when it when you're in it when you're doing it 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 you know it demands all your focus and attention, but um, you gotta there's gotta be moments of levity. You know? Were you always that way, or do you feel like when you were younger you were more like oh, I got I need all this time to myself? No, I like crews. Yeah, I like the people. On the set, yeah. So I'm not one of those people that will... It depends what kind of scene I'm in. You know, sometimes scenes are, are, are more demanding than others. You may have a, a, heavy, a heavy day of dialogue or emotional scene or something, you know, and, and I'll take time to, you know, reflect on it. Yeah. What's coming up. But um, I like... I like the crew. I, I like mo- most, mo- you know. Really, I've been very lucky. I work with some great actors, very nice people, and often crews are really great. So I, I like to not be one of those people. I don't lock myself away in the trailer, you know. If 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 it isn't if if the wait isn't too long between setups, I would rather just hang on the set and chat with the sound guy, or. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty important because for someone who is where you are at, if the crew sees that you're cool, I mean, it's like the higher up on the call sheet your name is, the cooler you are. I think it sets a complete tone for the rest of the production, which has a trickle down effect, I think. Yeah. And it's not about um, a need to be. It's who I am. You know, I'm not airs and graces and, you know, my nose is in the air. <laughs> or I think I'm better than anyone else. It's, I'm just one of the gang. We're a team together. That's how I sort of see it. Movies, especially movie making. You know, you're... I mean, a director in a play... Directing a play is is uh, it's uh, an integral, vital part of the process, but at some point, the director has to surrender the play over to the actors because it's the actors that are going to do it, and he's not going to necessarily be there every night, and 
you go, you own it now. It's your thing. Movie making is is not is not like that. So there's there is that oh there's that one person who's the commander, the captain, but he needs a lot of help. He cannot just do it on his own. It takes a takes a whole team, down to the driver mm-hmm. who picks me up. You know. Um, and these are the people that you that you see in the morning before you meet before you see the director. I see my driver and the makeup people before I even meet the director. So those those elements are are vital. And if my driver doesn't pick me up on time, then the whole mechanism, the whole day is out of sync. So at six o'clock in the morning the most important person is my driver. Right. That's kind of how I see it, you know. I think I, re- I was reading something that, and, you know, who knows the veracity of what you see on the internet, but did you turn down Sid and Nancy a bunch because you didn't, you wanted to keep doing theater? Yeah, I've turned, I've turned, yeah, turned down a couple of things in the past through wanting to do a play or it it wasn't anything other than I was a I like soul I was James Brown guy I like David Bowie I liked you know I had my sort of Mo Tamla Motown and all that kind of stuff Stevie Wonder um Beatles of course but so it was and I was slight I was at that generation where it wasn't as impactful on me, mm-hmm. you know, the pistols and all that that new music. Mm-hmm. So it was really, initially, it was just something that didn't interest me. I just thought, who cares about Sid Vicious? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like they're making a, it's not like they're making a movie about John Lennon. Right. You know, it's like you know, he couldn't even fucking play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was really the, you know, it didn't interest me. And um, and then my agent kept ragging, ragging on me at the time. And, um, and he said, look, you know, you've never done a movie and... You know, I think this could be could be something. Um, um, and then, you know, once I was on board and in it, you know, I took it. You know, I gave it every. I gave it my best, my best effort. But um, I was just telling an anecdote downstairs because he asked a question about, um, you know, have you ever turned anything down that you regret or whatever? And I've turned a bunch of things down that other actors have had a huge success with. Obviously, if you turn a movie down and it's, and it's, and it's, um, and it isn't so corely dependent on you, you know, like, you know, I don't know how they would get the money for The Revenant (laughs) if Leonardo DiCaprio was not in it, right? So it's totally cast dependent. You need Leonardo 
to get the movie made. But if you're, but if you're, you know, a script comes in and you go, no, it's a pass, you know that someone else is going to do it and they may have a great success with it. So that's always a risk you take. You sure. know, if you turn something down, it, 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 you know, you might be walking away from a bag of gold. You know what I mean? But I, I don't have regrets necessarily. But uh, I was, you know, I was telling him a story that, that, you know, I was years ago, I was in the running for Edward Scissorhands. Oh, wow. And... Tim Burton was somewhat of an unknown commodity, really. And I read this really strange script about, you know, this kid who lived in this castle. And um, within, you know, five minutes of, the, of, of reading it, you know, there's an Avon lady turning up at the door selling makeup to this kid who's got hands of scissors and all the rest of it. And I thought, I, I don't get this at all. <laughs> and uh, I thought, no, it's not for me, you know. I just said, I don't get it. I, and then I saw it. And, and, the, and I remember the opening shot was this sort of panning, sort of crane shot going over suburbia with all these different coloured houses. And then it just ended on this sort of Dracula castle. And I went, yeah, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> but you, at the time... It was what it was. You but know? The, but for every Tim Burton script that you turn down, I'll, most of the stuff you pass on, you probably is not going to turn out that way. Like it's it's it really is. I think kind of a numbers game. Of course, they're going to pick the one or two. Like oh my god, you were almost in that. But there must be a hundred things that you turned down. That was like yeah, it's probably a good thing you you turn those other things. Sometimes down. you turn down things. Yeah, I've turned down things, and people have won Academy Awards. But that's that's got to be rare. Most of the time, it's like, oh yeah, okay, that was kind of a shitty thing, and it's a good thing I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you get you. There's all sort of there's variables, and it's life circumstances. When you're a young actor and you don't have responsibilities, you can be a little bit more cavalier with with stuff and. You say, I want to do this, and I don't care that there's no money, and I don't care that it's shooting in Africa, and I don't care that I have to spend half the movie naked, covered in spiders. <laughs> this, is, this is a great film, and I want to do it. When you've got family, and you're older, your things shift, your responsibilities and things are different. So then something might come in and you say, I really like this, but I have promised to be around with my family or my kid is going to be graduating and I really need to be on him. You know, he's got this last year at school. I can't be away for five months of it in Bulgaria. So you have life circumstances Mm -hmm. that, that change it rather than if you're free and easy breezy, 20-year-old, doesn't really matter where you live, you've got no responsibilities, you've got... I, I, so um, it, it, it's, 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 it's the weird thing. I mean, with, with criminal, 
I met this script came in and they say you know it's this sort of brain transplant movie mm-hmm. and you go really some guy gets a, someone's memory and I met Ariel and I really liked him and he seemed to have a really good take on the material like I could vis- I could I could see the film that he wanted to make this thriller I liked him a hell of a lot and I wanted to also Kevin and I had worked together on JFK mm-hmm. and then later Tommy Lee came on board who was also in JFK so it was really a nice thing to um, reconnect with Kevin um, uh, and and work with Ariel who I really liked who had also made a pretty decent movie with the Iceman you know mm-hmm. and and so you're looking at a situation where you're going it's five weeks of my life I could probably think of worse places to be than you know and you and you have to size someone up and you say can I spend 14 hours a day around this person you know um, and I thought Ari was just a great guy and I thought and and also Kevin's commitment once he's in he's in you know Kev is you know he's not he's not going to just kind of cash in or walk through it you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's he's going to give it his best. So that was that that was also exciting. You know that you you're you're with someone who is uh, we're 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 in it. Um. So those you know those for in, that just as an example, those were the sort of circumstances that you. That, that you know things come along or come by and you think yeah you know what yeah I could do that yeah <laughs> JFK is one of those like it's like the it's like a who framed Roger Rabbit of every major actor you could possibly in one I mean it's almost silly everyone who's in that movie <laughs> that was not only big at the time but then just continued to yeah I mean many many of them are not alive anymore yeah. When you were researching that, I read that you spent time with Oswald's family. Yeah. So what do you say to them when you show up and you go, "Okay, I'm going to play Lee Harvey Oswald." Uh, what can you tell me? Like, how do you how do you get how do you, how do you make them comfortable with what you're doing, and how do they trust you? Or how how does that work? Well, I think with with with. With JFK, Oliver was, you know, because he's this political animal and he's a conspiracy, (laughs) you know, one of the most paranoid men I've ever met. He's, uh, you know... (laughs) All the signs are there! Yes, they are there. So, So he had this take on the script which... 
having then started to sort of read and meet various people, you know, it is pretty extraordinary, yeah. some of the things in the film that actually happened. Mm -hmm. And so you could, you, so you've got to get on board with um, Oliver's vision because mm -hmm. I can't walk on the set every day and go, you know, I think Oswald killed him. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you know, you're just not going to, you're not going to get anywhere with that. <laughs> so you have to get on the, you have to jump on the train with him. Yeah. And I think because he was showing an alternate sort of thing sure. where he was saying, yeah, he may have peripherally been involved, but he was set up mm -hmm. and he was exactly what he said he was, a patsy. Then you're going in and meeting, you know, the daughter and the wife and you're, you're, you're sympathetic to their plight from the beginning. So it's a lot easier doing it that way than going in and saying, I, I think your ex-husband was an absolute fucking monster. Right. And uh, he killed the president. And that's the guy we're going to show, you know. So it was a little, a little easier to... to uh, the ice had been broken, let's sure, put it that way. Sure, of course, of course. And then... And I now was recently going through as an old trunk that was in the basement for God knows how long. And I found a, 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 a really lovely letter from Maria, different people. It was, a, it, was, it was a great, it holds a special memory for me because not only do I think it's one of Oliver's best, I mean, he's talk about firing on all cylinders, you know. It's a great piece of writing. Yeah. You forget, we, we, we sometimes forget, you know, how good people like Coppola and Oliver Stone are just as writers, let alone filmmakers. I mean, they're just great writers. So it was a really fantastic piece of writing, and a great, as you said, a great, great cast. But there was very little on the page for me, and he just gave me a bunch of pocket money and a couple of plane tickets and said, go and meet these people and find out who Oswald was. So you were both a sort of actor, investigator, sort of detective. Um, and there were some people that, you know, it was all take it with a pinch of salt. I mean, once you say that you're doing the, you, you know, you're doing the research and all the rest of it, you know, then everybody you meet was Oswald's friend. You know oh, what right. I mean? And you, and you but there were, there, there were some extraordinary um, people that I met including a guy, I don't even know if he's, I'd have to check to see if he's still alive, but he was a guy, Colonel Fletcher Prouty, who was a liaison officer at the Pentagon, who in fact is the person that X is based on, Donald Sutherland. Oh, wow. Nearly everything that Sutherland says in the movie is true, where the phone lines went down and he was shipped here and... I mean, it was, and uh, he told us this incredible story about Alan Dulles and this DC-6 and how they had put Gary Powers on that plane. That was a whole phony mission. Oh that, was, that was not, that the president didn't know about and the, how the CIA would work back then. 
and it, he said uh, it was it was a, a, absolutely extraordinary. And um, so history says Gary Gary Powers was on a mission, get shot down, and they call and they say, well, they've got Gary Powers and they've got all the plans. You know, they've got the U two spy plane. He said he he's he said that that had all happened much that that had all happened before and the phone rang and they said we got a problem that a DC6 that Alan Dulles owned that the president did not know about had been captured with the documents of the spy plane and it just so happens that Oswald was uh, a radar operator at Azugi Air Base in Japan for the U-2 spy plane. I mean, it's, it's you, st- you know, it all becomes... So they got this call, and they thought, hell, what are we going to do? We can't go to the president and tell him, because he will say, what DC-6? <laughs> right. And then we have to say, well, Alan Dulles has got this plane, and, the, 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 you know, you don't know about it, but the <laughs> thing, and he's flying it here and there and doing stuff covertly behind your <laughs> oh, back. Oh, are you mad? Are you mad? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Are you upset? <laughs> yeah, are you upset? I'm sorry. So he said, what are we going to do? And they want to do a deal, but then now you're dealing with the Russians, and... They want something in return, but we've got to do it under a certain amount of time because they're going to release this material, so we're all going to be embarrassed anyway. So what are we going to do? Okay, so we send the U-2 spy plane out over Russia. We put Gary Powers in it, and we give him half a tank of fuel, and to fly at 90,000 feet, 70,000 feet at the time they used to pump hydrogen through the engine Mm -hmm. so he said we put him on a plane and we gave him half a tank of hydrogen (laughs) and when he got over the airspace he ran out of hydrogen and that meant the plane had to come down from 70,000 feet to 35,000 feet and they picked him up on the radar and then we could go to the president and say oh god they shot down the plane and they got the we need to do a deal now you know, I heard it from him. Can I say it's true? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I believed him, but uh, so we don't really know, do we? <laughs> did that? You, did, does working on something like that, and then you hear that, and you and you realize the stakes of what the reality of those situations are? Does it kind of make you go, "Oh yeah, I guess." You know, acting's really maybe not a, maybe the stakes aren't as high sometimes as they feel like because that's those are national security issues. Oh, look, you know what I mean. You live this gypsy life. You dress up in clothes, put makeup on, and pretend you're other people. I mean, yeah, it's not exactly. Uh, I mean, we all love stories. We love we love to, we love to see what people do. You know. We, um, so storytelling is, uh, is, is vital, I think, and important. But, um, you know, in the scheme of things, <laughs> uh, we are, I mean, here was a guy I watched the other night, a 
and he came on TV and his name was so ridiculously complex and long I, I couldn't even begin to, I couldn't even begin to pronounce it but he was a guy that was going into the territories behind enemy lines and rescuing women that had been captured by ISIS mm-hmm. and they were like as slaves and being raped and you know and he had found this girl who was nine years old that had been raped 20 times a day and my hat goes off to him do you know what I mean that's that's you know I'm Oh God! I've got to go first class to London and make a movie. You know, well, I know, but I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously. Oh dear, poor me, poor me. You know what I mean? I've got to go off and work with Kevin Costner. Oh, oh God, it's so. You know, in first class, you wanted the lasagna, but they'd already run out of the lasagna, and so then it's like, do you get the you get the steak? And it's like, oh, on an airplane, it's not always. Oh no! But you know, you you and New Zealand. Oh, that's the one. That's the one. That's the one, folks. <laughs> but you, now you have to be a spokesman for Aaron Museum. Now, now Aaron Museum is going to be like, oh, Gary Oldman. And it's a third of the cost. <laughs> the service is immaculate. I know them all there. I know them well. Hey, New Zealand. Gary Oldman's favorite airline. That's it. Uh, come to Auckland. <laughs> Gary Oldman does. <laughs> Loves crowded house. <laughs> Trying to think of as many Kiwi things like that. I know, keep going. Fly to the Concords. That's it. Visit he loves, the rings. He loves the Hobbit. <laughs> loves the Hobbit. <laughs> I mean, you, you know, when you put things in that perspective, of course, it, any logical person would go, yeah. I mean, like, they're, those people are doing oh. the real life. But, you know, even as we joke about... Yeah. First, but people really do get into that. Like, people really do think that way. There are people who are, who are that way. What, that like, that want... That don't really necessarily, particularly in this town, that don't necessarily have the that type of uh, the being tethered to the human perspective of, you know, we're lucky to do what we do, and it's kind of silly that we get to do what we do, and it's not, you know, it's not rescuing people behind enemy lines, but some people do give it that kind of gravity every once in a while. Yeah. I mean, there's a... Occasionally you'll get a story, you'll see, you know, a script... Um, uh, which is just it, it, and it's pure. It's, it's artistry, and and there's a craft and a skill in doing it in the same way a painter has, or a dancer, or a singer, or a songwriter, or you know. Um, I'm not. I'm not. I love the arts, beautiful truth and poetry. You know, I'm glad that I that I'm in it, and it rescued me. It has been everything. From what? I'm not sure, but it did. I just think it's given me... Um, I, love, I love being around the arts. I've been lucky. I love, I love painting. I love photography. You're a musician, and, too. Yeah, I love music. I love the written word. Uh, you know, I just think it's uh, it's been a really great. It, it's I've I've had a great life. It's and it's it, from it, and I've been I have been six I have been successful, 
Um, but uh, it, it's been uh, just s- such a sea to swim in, really. I can't complain. And I, and I just love, I love the, the, the creativity that, that you... I mean, I, you probably read or know, you know, I was a friend with David Bowie. I yeah. mean, I knew David for a long, a long time. Yeah. But you listen to that sort of last album... And you, here's a man that is told that he's ill and it's terminal. And you, there's, you know, you could either go one way or the other with it, you know what I mean? And he could have, it could have gone in a very negative direction. Sure. And instead, he sort of surrendered to it and he embraced it and he turned it into something that was creative for us, you know? And that's what he left. You know, a man psychologically, physically struggling with his mortality. That That's really what that album is about. And, um, and that... As he said, you know, that is his door to perception. That is the house he lives in, creativity. And you listen to some of those songs as I was in the car the other day and you listen to Aladdin Sane and you go, wow, that came out of someone's head. That just came out of someone's head. And now it exists, you know. I do that a lot with... I do it with architecture and what, what, what was it? I was uh, traveling out to Palm Springs the other day and I saw a 19, I think like 64, 65, you know, Thunderbird. And I went, fuck me, that came out of someone's head. <laughs> they just sat down one day and went, you know. There it is. How's this? Yeah. How's that? But you must, I mean, you must have some understanding. I mean, because I'm sure... You know, people watch your performances and they go, well, how did he get to there? Like, how did he... Because sometimes, I think when you are when you do something and you see other people do it, you go, okay, I see the code. I see how he got this person got from this and this. But every once in a while, like you're saying with Bo, you go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you get from there to there. You know, you must understand what that feels like to a degree, right? But sometimes it's a happy... Sometimes they're happy accidents. Sometimes... There, uh, uh, there's a great story. There's a great story that Anthony Hopkins told me years ago, and I'm talking 25, maybe 30 years ago. He was in a play at the National Theatre, and it was a it was a David Hare play, um, and it, uh, Pravda, mm-hmm. and it was about a sort of Murdoch type takeover guy you know that would eat up a newspaper and <laughs> right. and come in and buy it and turn it into a tabloid or you know um and lambert larue was the character's name and tony hopkins uh had been away from the british stage and in england for for a number of years came back and was in this play in the national and you knew from the very moment he came out, he had this sort of 
speech that he gave that was a short sort of little monologue in just in a spotlight. And when he came out and started to, you know, and began, you knew instantly that you were in the presence, in the company of one of the greatest performances of the 20th century. It was... It was mesmeric. It was like, holy shit. And you kind of just knew that you were in for this wonderful evening in, in the presence of this actor that was just going to, you know. And he had a very, very, very particular way of moving in this play. And I later met Tony and later worked with him and I asked him a question about it. And I said, it was the way that you moved. And I can't, obviously, it's, uh, this is not visual, but... but um, and, he, and he would sort of stand there. And when he turned to people and spoke to them, his feet would stay on the ground, but he would, like, lean in like this, <laughs> right? And he would lean, like this kind of thing. And I said, how did you come up with that physicality? I said, that was so great, the way you moved. And he said, uh, in his... In the way Tony does, he said, "Well, you know, I was in, uh, I was in a rehearsal." He said it was a technical rehearsal, and I'm standing on the stage, blah blah blah, and uh, it was late in the day, and David Hare asked me something from the back of the auditorium, and I didn't hear him, and he said, and I was standing there on stage while they were doing the technical with the lights. And he stood there, and David here said something to him. He said, what was that? And he went, well, that feels good. <laughs> and that's it. That was it? That, now, it takes someone to recognise it. Sure. That's where the talent is. Right. And the talent of Tony is, is you know, it's colossal. So, instinct... Um, instinct you, to, to to know to, to you know it, it, someone might have just said what was that sorry oh yeah and then carried on and he did it and he went oh god this what have I just done I'm gonna this, this is how the character moves and I remember doing State of Grace uh, just really struggling with it. I, I for some reason I remember it was and then at the eleventh hour I went to a costume fitting and I had long hair at the time and I uh owed Bronson Howard was the costume designer and she had a selection of clothes for me and I put on this leather jacket I remember I put on this leather jacket like that and I went like that with my hair I flicked my hair like that. And I didn't flick my head to the side. It was kind of an angle up. And I just put this jacket on, went like that, with my hair like that. And I went, fuck it, that's it, I've got him. <laughs> that was it, in that moment. Yeah. And, and I thought, there, you know, I got the physical, it all, it landed. It's what I call the cloak of inspiration. <laughs> and sometimes it lands, you hope. Sometimes it lands early. Sometimes it lands like it, and sometimes it doesn't land at all, and 
and you you know has there ever been do you do you have a role where people are like you were so amazing in that and you go yeah i don't feel i don't think i got it i don't think i got it most of it are you kidding me come no, on no car burn most of it no. Yeah, if it was in here now, I'd throw it off the balcony. <laughs> if someone just brought all the film cans in here, yeah, fucking, you would pitch I'd them off. Toss it over the wall. Oh my god! Come on. Yeah. Is that is that a that's na- all right though? Is that a natural self-deprecation or is that like a no? I can do better. Do you think you're hard on yourself that way? I think you can do better, and I also think it's part of that. Yeah, it's like self-loathing. Do you think that? If you don't want to talk about this, it's totally fine. I've been sober 13 years. 17. 17. Congratulations. And to you. Thank you. You think that's just a part of our brains? Just that sort of self that just like... What, that... stinking thinking? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's destructive thinking because I, I, I notice... So I think part of, the, part of the myth of it is like, well, once you stop the thing, you should be okay. It's like, no, it's a product of a certain type of thinking. And that's the problem. It's not the substance. It's just a medicine. No, that's just, just a, yeah. It is that, it is that, that yeah. self-love, that, that stinking thinking thing that is, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, you, I think you get to a point where you kind of, you use it. You, you, you know, I think it's a certain, it, when it becomes... When it when it becomes too, there's that thing of what what what's a, what what's the definition of an alcoholic? It's an egomaniac with low self esteem. <laughs> it's total, I don't even like the term alcoholic because I feel like but, that makes yeah. it about the substance. Right. It's not about but, the substance. But that's that. It it's it uh, that to me could be that could be an actor to me. Yeah. Or a, a musician. You know, it, it, I think a healthy dose of doubt <laughs> makes you better yeah it's got to make you better somehow because you just go otherwise you just sit there you know loving everything you do <laughs> i think it's the difference between i think it sort of separates the men from the boys i i think it's the difference between an amateur and a professional where an amateur will, I don't know, make a three and a half hour movie and think it's all fantastic and then just, you know, vomit it on you. You know what I mean? It's like, like taking a big shit or something, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, a, and someone who really knows will go, it, it, it's terrific, but it really needs to be two hours. And that scene is amazing, but I have to take it out and cut mm-hmm. it. You, that that's what that that's what I think it sort of it gives you a it's 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 a weird thing it's almost like um, it's almost sometimes like it's self-loathing and kind of instinct are related to me in some fashion I don't know how but they are they relatives so you feel like you've developed a healthy relationship with it yeah yeah, to the point where it's not destructive. And I don't mean destructive in terms of going off and, you know, doing drugs or anything. Right. Just making you fucking miserable. Sure, yeah. And depressed. Yeah. And miserable to be around. You know, where you're so full of self-doubt that it's crippling. 
And it does affect every person. And then it affects the, yeah. and, and your relationships and all of that. So I think you've got to have, you know, I don't, you know, you try not to take yourself, you know, too seriously with it and get, you get over yourself. You know yeah. what I mean? You go, come on, you know. Well, a lot of people listen to the show who either are kind of on the, I get a lot of emails from people like, oh, I'm thinking about getting sober or I've been sober for like a year. Like, what do you do in those trigger situations? Like in those situations where you feel that, where you feel a depressor or you're in public and everyone around you is, you know, yeah. What, what do you do? I mean, what did you do to get through it? I avoided really, I, I would just not put myself in circumstances. Yeah. Um, early on, um, I think I think I made a stand. I when I first started to sort of when I first got sober, they wanted me for a premiere, and they wanted me to you know do this kind of thing. I just didn't, I didn't end up doing it. Smart. I mean, and that's I just a good said, decision. And and also a movie came in early on, and its location was difficult, and it required me to be away away from all my my contacts and my meetings and you know what I mean and all of that so I said no I can't it's too dangerous that's smart you just have to respect I, you know, the power of it so I think you gotta you've gotta get to you, you, that that's the thing you you've gotta give it um yeah you've gotta respect it it's it's very powerful and um so you have to sort of you 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 have to help yourself. Yeah. You know, and it get and it gets it gets it gets better, but it, then it then then you know what do you what do you do? You live in life on life's terms, as they say, and um, and you just have to deal with it like other people do who don't have a a bottle of vodka. Well, I think not. Every, I think I think learning that not every day has to be perfect. It's like, oh man, today sucked. Yeah, well, some days suck. You know, some days you feel shitty. Some days you don't. Yeah, you don't feel on top of your game, but then uh, you'll be fine if you can just kind of weather it. It's funny you bring it up because I just was speaking to someone who's in a relationship, and uh, one of them is, you know, going through a really tough time and. And it's that thing of, you know, I said to them, it's such a monster when you're in it. it, it it's you it, When you're in the grip of it, you know, they're not in, intentionally trying to be horrible to you or selfish or they, they, they don't mean to hurt you. But I said the, 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 the piece of advice I can give you right now is it's, it's almost like it's none of your business. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's... Um, it's 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 hard, but uh, and that was only just actually today that uh, that someone, what do I do? What do I do? And you go, well, it's not your job to really do anything. You can't. It's them. Yeah, they gotta wanna. They have to want it, or it's not gonna work. It's not gonna work otherwise. I mean, it is. It's it's rough. I feel for your friend. I feel for your friend. Yeah, but I'm the further I get away from it. The 
It's like another life now. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It's like I was someone else. You know what I mean? And I yeah. go, you were absolutely, um, yeah. But you know, it's just th- it's fucking great that you figured that out. Some people don't. Well, yeah. You mean like Richard Burton? Well, didn't they take I mean, him to a pub after he died? And like, they're like, well, he always I wanted don't know, to. But it's like some people, you, you know, for all his—I don't know. It's just I sometimes think about it for all his genius, you know, for all the great the thing and blessed with it all, and how smart he was, and all that. You go, you didn't get that one. No, you weren't smart enough to get that one. And just a bummer that he probably couldn't enjoy everything that he was doing. Well, even you talk about Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. And I just think it's just, I think it's important for people to hear, you know, people they look up to be human. Because like, oh, my God, he's so amazing. It's like, yeah, but he's a guy and he had struggles. And so even you saying the thing about his movement, he goes, oh, that was just a, you know, like, I think that's so powerful and important those humanizing elements because I think it make I think it helps people who are struggling feel like oh okay everyone else hasn't figured everything out and I'm fucking stupid you know like everyone has their own stuff even Richard Burton and Anthony Listen, Hopkins and Gary Oldman we don't we don't none of us escapes <laughs> we, we, we all you know my dear friend David 69 years old cancer dead yeah did you know, by the way? Yeah. You did. But, uh, yeah. So what do you learn? It's, it's, what you... It's, it's, it's what I call the cosmic shit hammer. Yeah. It just goes, you. There you go. Is there anything you take away from that? Is there anything positive that you feel like I, you can learn from it? Listen, the, the, well, I've said this, you know, what I what I what I took away from it was um, David never complained. I used to speak with him, and we used to Skype or try to at least once a week. Never complained. Uh, handled it all with such grace, such humour. Um, uh, courage yeah and that's what you that's what you take that's what you take away you know that's what you take away from it well I mean it's when sort you of s- example you know talk about power of example you know you just go well there's there's it it's, it's right there you know what I mean? And he would, and if he'd had a bad week or a treatment or would, you know, whatever, you know, he'd, 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 like he'd touch on it and then go, so what you been up to? Mm-hmm. And, and that was, uh, that was how he, uh, and then turned it into something. He turned it into poetry, really, in that record. Um, that's an amazing gift, though, to see that and that be the thing that you get to take away of 
that lesson and that understanding and that connection to mortality and connection to humanity. I mean, that's an incredible, that's an incredible thing. Yeah, it's you. a great, it's a, yeah, it's a fantastic, it's, sorry. No, please. No. I, I, I'm so, it's about, uh, I'm so glad that you feel comfortable talking about it because no. people see Bo, people see him as this yeah. two dimensional legend and to, to hear that, no, he was a guy and he was an, he was a friend no, he was, and he was a, like, that's, that's important. Yeah. Yeah, I see. See, I, I got because I sort of knew David Jones. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I sort of rather than uh, and occ- occasionally you would be, you would be reminded that you go, oh yeah, God, but um, but it was, uh, and the. The, when I was, I was recently, you know, I went, well, I, you know, I went to the UK and I did that, picked up that, the Brit Award thing, yeah. you know, film. Um, the, the love in the room, that it, it was like, you know, in, in, I mean, I know it was a sort of, it was a shock everywhere around the, you know, around the world and in the music it's certainly in the music industry, but in England it was, it's it it you know it's like Princess Diana dying or 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 you know Sir Winston Churchill or something. You know what I mean? It's like national mourning. It it is the outpouring of uh, sort of love for him. And then, of course, the papers, the main big newspapers that ran the pictures and the headlines are doing reprints. You can order it online so that you can have, a, you know, a copy of the of the Guardian or the, the Sunday Times with, you know, uh, it's sort of um, more than a national hero. The response to his dying, and it, it, it was like, um, like some deity or something. You know yeah. what I mean? It was. Uh, but ultimately, and, and it surprised me. It shouldn't surprise me, but it did surprise me when we went to England and 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 that room of God, whatever that O2 holds. It was like fifteen thousand people. I mean, yeah, it's, it's something big. like it was humongous, and all you know just love for this guy it was um quite something you know well just on a personal level he was your friend and i'm really yeah. sorry i yeah. mean i really it's it was one of those things that i think people he was a, pe- a person that i think so many people connected to for so many different reasons for so many decades um and i think everyone probably felt like they knew him because he just sort of radiated that yeah. type of persona. Yeah, but, you but do. You actually, yeah, but you, you do. But do. you do. But you do. I think. Yeah, you get people sometimes that are just that that pass on, and they, you 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 know there are certain people you feel like you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's a lovely one. It was a wonderful thing to see. Um. Does going on, working on a, do you take time to process stuff? 
or do you go, you know, I need to go work and just kind of like... No, I tell you what happened. What's been really sort of... Um, this is um, and this is totally accidental. I mean, this is all sort of you know by accident, really. Um, I was uh, I was involved with um, different music things, and uh, this uh, we, we had done this. I, I've just got an, a. I know a lot of sort of musicians and yeah. various you know music people and. And uh, I've not got a band. I'm not in a band or anything like that. But uh, we, we we do different. Occasionally, we get together and do different things. And and um, there was this sort of reinterpreting music series um, that uh, we'd done at Molly Malone's, and we'd done this reinterpreting Peter Gabriel. Oh, wow! And the, the head of it. Um, let's just call him Scrote, S-C-R-O-T-E. <laughs> He's Scrote. That's his name. Um, and he and he said, "You want to?" I'm thinking of maybe doing another one and doing a thing with 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 Dave. You know, with Bowie as a sort of celebration, a tribute. And so we 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 did that, and um, we actually did. We did LA, and then we came, uh, and then we just we just went to San Francisco. Um, and that's probably it now. I mean, that's it's it's it, it was it is what it is. It's done. But um, it was oddly um, cathartic. It was um, it was a way of communicating with David. Uh, connecting with him, but he's not here. You know what I mean. Yeah. So it was. Uh, it was um it, it sort of um I needed it. You know, it sort of did me good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Did they do did anyone record that anywhere? No. no. No, we we it was just a couple of I have a feeling they're bugging probably I'm probably I'm probably I'm probably done, and I You're yeah. probably done in a minute. Can you yeah. use four minutes to wrap yeah, up? Yeah, four minutes. Sure. Go just on. so it's not yeah. like the end. That's, that's <laughs> um but uh that's such a those are those are such lovely stories and they're such human stories and I and, and but I and I also feel I also feel bad because of course you know especially people who listen to this podcast I would have poked you around about Sirius Black or James Gordon or any of these I but I'm things yeah. you've talked about a million times I've talked about all of that but it's so yeah. wonderful to because I really have not seen a lot of you as as you in anything. In interviews, or I mean, I haven't really seen that much of you, and it's really lovely to get to know you in this way. It's really, it's it's really nice. Do you feel comfortable? Would you do more stuff like this? I, t- you know, it, 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 uh, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I like. I don't do. Um, I don't do print anymore. So you can't control what they're going to say. <laughs> yeah, and I. I've been burned a couple of times with things taken out of context sure. and misquoted and, you know, in this. And, and also, the electronic is more, you know, if if someone said to me, you know, you want to do, do, do an article with a newspaper, I go, you know, listen, 
if that was if that was going to breach all those people, then this company wouldn't be spending money on all this TV advertising. I mean, you know where the, you you know you go. Why is it that they spend all this money on TV advertising? So I think the electronic kind of thing. Um, I mean, hell, you know, you can schlep around doing ten articles that are print and kill it on Kimmel. <laughs> yeah, and that's all you needed you, to do. Yeah, you're going to reach more people doing the thing. But um, now you get to a point where you go, "Nah, I've been burned doing yeah. that. I don't." Um, but this is all right. Yeah. Oh, this is amazing. This was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was. I mean, obviously, you know, you know, we're all huge. I, I, I think it goes without saying we're all huge fans of yours, and and so it to kind of mash the fandom down and go, oh, we're just going to talk to a guy and see how he processes information. That's inter- That's really fascinating to me. Like hearing how people approach situations and hearing you deal with addiction and hearing you sad about your friend. I mean, those are all things that everyone experiences, and I think they're things that make will make people. Even go, oh my god, I fucking want to hang out with that guy. I want to hang out with that guy now. Come on down. (laughs) (laughs) Criminal opens April 15th, if I'm not mistaken. April 15th. Yes. Kevin Cosner, Tommy Lee Jones. Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot. Ryan Reynolds, yes. And the lovely Alice Eve. Alice Eve, yeah. Um, And uh, it's a, it's a, it is what it is. It's a thriller. It's good, good, good. Good rump. By the way, I, as we're ending this, I did not want to let it slide by that your Anthony Hopkins impersonation is fucking amazing. Well, I was only sort of, I wasn't giving it my full. Uh, can I, then I can I ask you one favor. Yes. We, <laughs> we end the podcast by telling people, enjoy your burrito. It's sort of a mantra that means enjoy the present as it's yeah. happening. Would you end as Anthony Hopkins telling people? Well, let me see. Enjoy the burrito. I want you to enjoy that burrito. I mean, I could do Chris Walken. <laughs> yeah. Oh, please. Uh, enjoy your burrito. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Thank you so much, man. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. It's all a lighthearted nightmare on our podcast, Morbid. We're your hosts. I'm Alina Urquhart. And I'm Ash Kelly. And our show is part true crime, part spooky, and part comedy. The stories we cover are well-researched. He claimed and confessed to officially killing up to 28 people. With a touch of humor. I'd just like to go ahead and say that if there's no band called Malevolent Deity, that is pretty great. A dash of sarcasm and just garnished a bit with a little bit of cursing. This motherfucker lied like a liar like a liar and if you're a weirdo like us and love to cozy up to a creepy tale of the paranormal or you love to hop in the way back machine and dissect the details of some of history's most notorious crimes you should tune in to our podcast morbid follow morbid on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen to episodes early and ad free by joining wondery plus in the wondery app or on apple podcasts